Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 159, our good friend Brandis returns to the show. Uh, the first part of the show will be talking a little bit more serious. Brandis is a uh, social worker, and she and I have talked offline for a long time about uh, the delivery of health care, especially to those with a mental health diagnosis. How could it could be frustrating sometimes, not necessarily from a patient point of view, but even from a lack of services and resources point of view, we'll uh, get into that a little bit. And uh, the second part of the show will be a lot uh, a lot lighter. Uh, Brandis and her husband recently uh, moved into a new house. We'll be talking about that and about her book called uh, Columbus Groove. And also, she is a, uh, uh, a recent new owner of the Apple iPad. Yes, I am very jealous. We'll get into that. And a lot more on the Dr. Anonymous show starting... Right now. the best that medicine and social media have to offer. This is the Dr. Anonymous show live on a Thursday night here on the Block Talk Radio Network. I'm, of course, your favorite physician host. My name is Mike, but my friends, like all of you out there, yes, I'm talking to you. You call me Dr. A, and you can always find me at DrAnonymous.com. That brings you the most current show schedule and also some blog posts which I have been lacking of writing. I apologize about that. And also some uh, TV interviews of uh, local uh, uh, TV news here. Very proud of that. You can check that out over there. And uh, recently talked this week about allergies and pollen. You can see that right at uh, DrAnonymous.com. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. Shout out to all uh, 194 Facebook fans of the show. Yes, that brings you to my Facebook fan page and also to some exclusive video of me doing the show. And uh, you can see that over there. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you you right to the iTunes page where you can subscribe to this show. I know, very exciting. And also leave a comment over there. And you can also listen in real time to this show on your iPhone, BlackBerry, and Palm Pre, and probably some other handheld devices. Uh, If people are listening to this on their Nexus One, you could let me know. I'll add that to the list. Today is Thursday, April 15, 2010, MMX, whatever you want to call it. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and the high temperature here today at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters was 81 degrees Fahrenheit in April. Very excited about that. Our guest coming up in a few minutes will be Brandish Schnabel, MSWLSW. She is a social worker, author, and 
social media evangelist. That's right, and well, a whole lot more than we had there. You may remember her from show number 114 when she talked about her book, Columbus Groove. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. And I first met her when I helped out uh, with uh, Paul Camp Ohio 2008. And it was kind of weird because uh, she was kind of the first person who I got to know online first and then actually met in person. You know, not in a weird way, but, you know, you know when you meet people online and then you meet them on person in person. It was a very cool experience. And it's been really great getting to know her and uh, her husband for the past uh, few years. I remember when she put her uh, wedding video uh, up uh, on the Internet for everybody to see uh, out there in Las Vegas. That was very cool to see. It was nice of her to share that experience with all of us, her Internet friends. So that was, that's was that been fun. Uh, but we've been talking a long time offline um, about taking care of patients in our broken health care system. And I thought it would be interesting to bring her on the show to talk about taking care of patients both from her point of view and from my point of view. Uh, and then, of course, we'll talk about geeky stuff, like her recent purchase of the iPad, and uh, also wanted to see how her uh, book was doing and how it is to be a, a new homeowner. I do uh, encourage you to check out her website at brandis, B-R-A-N-D-I-C-E dot net, N-E-T, and uh, she's also a, a, a very good photographer. She has a lot of good photos on her site over there, too. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, but first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show again here this evening on the front page. And a welcome to those of you uh, here tonight, especially those of you who may be new listening live here or on the archives. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real physician. I'm a family physician in full-time private practice, meeting I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful and warm today, northeastern Ohio. And if you're listening live, you can see my shining face here on the webcam here this evening. Before we go to the break, I do want to uh, uh, give a big shout-out to everybody in my chat room here. Do we have our, do have our guests? We have Kimmy. We have Kat. We have T-Rave checking in there from Kansas City. I'll be coming out there to Kansas City coming up in the beginning of next month. So look out. Kansas City, Missouri, because me and T-Ray will be causing some trouble out there. I do have bail money saved up, I'm just saying. And also our favorite stalker, J-Man, is in the chat room there this evening as well. And uh, now that I have all the preliminaries out of the way, and we'll take my break. On the other side of this break will be our good friend, Brandis. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous show a proud member of the Better Health Network. You can get there by going to getbetterhealth.com and also a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com and we'll be right back.
That's right. Welcome back to the Dr. Anonymous Show, curing that pesky rash, just with the sound of my voice. And on the line we have with us right now is our good friend, Brandis. Brandis, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. So how you been? I, I, I can't believe I was looking back at the archives there, and it's been like six months. Uh, I can't believe time has went by so fast since you, were, since you were back on the show last. It was like the end of last summer. Time goes by so quickly. Yeah, it seems like, uh, yeah, it's, it's been six months, but it seems like it's been really fast, too. I just feel like I've been doing stuff since then, buying a house and getting all grown up and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll we'll get to the fun stuff here in a little bit, because um, uh, the, the, re- the reason I brought you on here, and we you, you and I have been talking kind of offline uh, for a while, is uh, kind of our mutual work um, in the healthcare uh, setting. And uh, I know that you, you uh, on your uh, on your website there, Brandis.net, you don't talk about it uh, that much, uh, a little bit. Uh, so maybe just uh, just give us a little bit of background as far as from your professional point of view, as far as um, and I think you and I maybe have just talked about it just a little bit, but uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you know kind of your interest um, in social work and how you got into that field and and. Uh, um, you know, wh- wh- why um, you picked that kind of as your career choice? Um, well, that's like five loaded questions in a row. Um, yeah, sorry well, about that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, actually, in the past six months, I've sort of changed jobs um, within the hospital and within the psych department. Um, but basically, I'm a psychiatric social worker. Um, I have a master's degree. Um, I'm in my supervision period, which is why um, my name is followed by an MSW and an LSW. um, Sometime this July, I'll be an LISW, which will be a licensed independent social worker, which basically means I'm a clinical psychosocial therapist kind of person. And um, the neat thing about being a social worker is you're kind of a jack of many trades. Um, Psych social workers, um, I work in an inpatient setting, so I work at a, a hospital in the region, and um, I started off working adult psych, which is um, younger population, and now I'm in geriatric psych. Uh, the adult psych, I was on a unit that was um, sort of a lower acuity inpatient psych unit. I had 14-bed unit. Um, I handled a lot of um, kind of worried well people who had previously had pretty stable, typical lives and something you know, something tragic happens and they're kind of thrown off track, uh, that kind of thing. Um, then we, then uh, the hospital has another unit that's more acute adult psych. And um, then there's the geriatric psych unit, which uh, is patient, they're patients over 65. Some of them are um, dealing with dementia. Some of them are people who were formerly adult psych patients who have simply aged into that population. So... Um, my job is, and it's differed um, since changing jobs, but on the adult psych unit, I would, um, and on both units, I do an initial psychosocial assessment, kind of look at the situation, look at um, what psychosocial stressors or events might have brought a patient into the hospital. Um, was there a suicide attempt? Was there a psychotic break? Um, you know, what precipitated them ending up being in the hospital? And um, then I do what I can to help um, 
bring that situation from a crisis down into a manageable situation that the person can handle taking home with them, basically. You know, uh, whether that involves referring to a family therapist, we get uh, family therapists involved. Sometimes I do work with the families. Sometimes um, I do um, counseling on the unit. Sometimes it's setting people up with um, the appropriate outpatient follow-up. Um, and on, on geriatric psych, it's a little different in that a lot of my patients are over 65, um, and a lot of them are not able to communicate a lot of what they need or a lot of the history. So I spend a lot more time uh, speaking with families. Um, I talk with families. I get history. Um, sometimes I'm talking with nursing homes that have sent the patient in, um, or I'm talking with nursing homes that I want to send the patient to, and, um, and helping families deal with um, sometimes a new dementia diagnosis or understanding that a dementia, uh, a patient's dementia has progressed to a point where, um, you know, maybe we're looking at hospice, palliative care, um, that kind of thing, or explaining to a family that their dementia has progressed to a point where maybe keeping mom at home, even though you promised you'd always keep her at home right until her dying days, um, isn't realistic and isn't necessarily safe or what's best for, for mom, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, uh, um, yeah, I'd like to delve into that a little bit, too, because from, from my standpoint, it, it, it gets very difficult when it gets to, when it gets to that point, um, because when they're, when people and families and patients are seen in my office, they're, they're relatively stable from a medical and from a, a psychological point of view, um, and when you get involved, when you see these, these patients and families, it's usually in a crisis type situation where I would presume, you know, and I've seen it too, where it's, it's more of an emotional situation and, and your evaluation um, can make a big difference as far as, you know, are they safe to go home? Do they have to be um, in a facility? Does it have to be a 24-hour facility? Can it be like a different type of facility? So I would imagine um, when you're talking with these families, it can get um, very difficult uh, sometimes with, with, with these cases and with these patients. Right, and, and a lot of time, um, and, and assessing that too, usually someone comes into the geriatric unit when something, there's been a crisis or it's been made clear that something wasn't safe about this person's environment. You know, if the person was living at home, maybe they've, they were found two blocks away wandering around in, you know, their nightgown and the police picked them up and brought them into the hospital. Or um, if the person's at a nursing home, um, maybe they have become agitated and combative and they've come in swinging and, you know, even though they're, they've already been placed in a nursing home that's clearly not a nursing home that's able to manage their behaviors or something's going on with the dementia or with medications that things need adjusted so that they can be kept safe. Um, and a lot, of, a lot goes into assessing where the patient goes next because on, on the geropsych um, unit especially, you can't assume that the patient's going to go back to where they came from because often their environment is part of the problem. So there's occupational therapy assessments, there's physical therapy evals, um, we get neuropsych involved a lot of the time, um, the psychiatrists are involved, we have a geriatrician who works specifically on our unit, um, and everybody kind of works together to look at whether it's feasible for the person to return to their environment or if they can't return and the family's already aware of that, to help the family pick um, a facility that's appropriate. 
because not every nursing home, you know, nursing homes are definitely not all created alike. They're, they're very different and can handle different levels of patients. So it's, it's a very complicated process. And something that I and I've and I've seen too, especially with with uh, geriatric uh, psychiatric uh, patients, um, is that uh, I'm experiencing a lot more with um, also kind of a a substance abuse diagnosis or a substance abuse issue, in addition to you know maybe a little bit of depression or a little bit of dementia, um, and that definitely uh, complicates uh, the situation. I, I, I guess I, I would presume that would kind of complicate things from a placement standpoint as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. The county that I work in, I'm fortunate um, in that we have a chemical dependency um, treatment organization that actually centers around um, people over 65 with chemical dependency issues. Um, but a lot of, and, and a lot of people don't even think to ask that question or look at that. Um, and it, it really is a big issue. Um, even if someone's in a nursing home, uh, even you know if they're living at home and the kids are living at home with them, you don't always know what's going on. And there are things like, you know, alcohol, long-term alcohol use can cause, you know, what is it, Korsakoff? Yes, um, Korsakoff syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which I mean is pretty hard, hardcore as far as dementia goes. I mean that that's some pretty. Um, often a lot of behavioral issues, and it's just um, a very distinct type of dementia that's really difficult to deal with, and if the family's not kind of aware of what's going on and, and um, are not really insightful in that they don't understand that it's just dementia, that it's not just dementia, that there's been a lot that's gone into it. and um, other There's a lot medically that goes into geriatric psych that doesn't play a part in adult psych. Um, you know, we've had patients that, late 70s who come in manic, um, long-term 30 to 40 years of treatment as a bipolar, um, also on, you know, dialysis because the medication that was working for them, you know, kidneys are shot, and and then it's, you know, how do you medicate this person and keep the medication in their system when you're flushing their system three times a week? You know, there's a, there's a whole lot of other concerns that are um, that play a part in geriatric psych. I think a lot of people think it's just, you know, dealing with the, the old folks with Alzheimer's, and a lot of it is dealing with Alzheimer's dementia, um, but it's it's a lot more complicated. And, and some things, too, that I've seen with, with some of my patients is that uh, um, something, I think, more unique to um, a geriatric psych population, um, especially meaning, like, uh, you know, if their spouse dies, especially if they've been married for a long time, um, and there's that kind of interesting dynamic that happens is that, um, you know, both the husband and the wife, you know, they kind of keep each other going for a while. And then when one spouse dies, the other spouse is just kind of, you know, that's when you really see, um, you know, whether it's their depression or anxiety, um, substance abuse, not, not necessarily alcohol. I mean, it could be prescription drugs as well. Um, and that's kind of something that I've seen in my experience is, is in, in that geriatric psych population. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Married couples, it's really difficult um, on a lot of levels. And, yeah, if, if one passes away and, and if that person was the one who was kind of keeping the other one in check, uh, you know, keeping them safe was the one kind of hiding some of the symptoms, um, then it's just, you know, the family gets just blown away by how, you know, 
dad dies, and man, he was really keeping from us how much help mom needed and how completely unfeasible it is for her to stay at home. And um, the other issue um, sort of that goes along with that is that so many people reach this age and reach this point in their in the dementia process and don't have durable power of attorney and don't have guardians and don't ha they don't have decision makers and that makes things or there or you have a husband and wife who are you know 92 93 years old and they're durable power of attorney for each other and neither of them are capable of making decisions and it's uh, it's such a mess and the one thing that I've when I started working on on Gerosyc um I think one of my New Year's resolutions, and I think I blogged about this, was to set up a living will and durable power of attorney and to get it all in writing before something happens. And so many people don't think of that. And that's largely what complicates my job. I probably have 10 oh. out of 16 patients right now who I'm trying to find out how legally to place them in a nursing home or to put them in a safe environment when there's no person legally able to make decisions for them. That's really maybe, uh, maybe explain that a little bit to people who may not be familiar uh, with what that is as far as advanced directives and things and, and maybe presume that, you know, the people who are listening to this show don't know anything about it. How, how do you explain that? How do you, how do you bring that forward to, to families uh, when you talk to them about that? Well, usually at the point that the patient is, um, you know, that case is in my lap. I'm usually talking to the family about, um, well, at, at the point at which they've developed dementia and can no longer sign legal documents, knowingly cannot, you know, choose someone to make decisions for them when they're incapacitated or not able to make um, safe decisions for themselves, I'm usually helping them look into guardianship. And I would, the thing I would say right off the bat is if you're in a situation where it's already too late to have mom or dad sign over durable power of attorney, which is something that says, this is the person I want to make decisions for me if something happens, if I'm in a coma, if I'm incapacitated, if I'm not able to make decisions for myself. This is who I want to be the person to make those decisions. And if you don't have that in place and something happens or it gets to a point where now mom's not able to sign documents and, um, and we don't let psychiatric patients sign legal documents when they're on a psychiatric unit too. So I'm usually either directing them to the right paperwork for when mom's discharged if she is able to sign paperwork or, you know, you need to go to an attorney and start the process of guardianship, which is a lot more difficult. Um, you got to get an expert eval from a doctor stating that the person is incompetent and needs to have someone else making legal decisions for them. And then you have to go through a pretty lengthy court process. Um, at least when the person's on a psychiatric unit because they're considered to be in a, in a safe environment. And so you can't do an emergency guardianship. I, I haven't done a lot of emergency guardianship for that reason, but there are faster processes. But um, the standard guardianship process, it can be six to eight weeks, and then if it's contested, it can take much longer. I've seen them where the guardianship process took 14 months before someone was finally made decision maker, and in that time, you know, things are really in limbo, and there's, it's very difficult to get the right treatment for someone who's not competent but doesn't have anyone competent in a position of power to make decisions for them. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's, it gets very complicated. Um, and then, you know, and I've been on the, on the other side of that as well from a treatment standpoint, um, when there is no prior documentation, um, and, uh, the patient cannot make their own medical decisions and, uh, it gets, it gets very, very difficult from, from my standpoint, also from the family standpoint. Um, I, I was uh, involved uh, with some, uh, legal cases as far as you know getting guardianship and um, you know putting things in the chart and and uh, um, that type of thing and it's that is a, it's a tedious process meanwhile the person the patient um, um, is in limbo you know as far as you know as far as medications and um, you know trying to <clears throat> get them where they need to go not only from a treatment standpoint but it also can have a lot of financial implications as well as far as who is making financial decisions for this person in addition to um, medical decisions which may be two different people um, and that very much complicates things too so I'm glad I'm very glad you brought that up and I think that is also something that's unique to the uh, geriatric population not only psychiatric population but geriatrics uh, in general as far as getting that advanced directive paperwork and also something called uh, do not resuscitate from my point of view from a treatment point of view um, get that paperwork done as well because it can get very tricky when none of that stuff is done, and, and I know you've experienced that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also on adult psych, um, for people who do have, uh, you know, chronic mental illness or have mental illness issues and could realistically expect to at some point end up on a psychiatric unit, they make behavioral health advanced directives too, which are, are fairly easy to find if you look, um, I think, on the Ohio Department of Mental Health, they have... Um, they have the paperwork, there's some links to it, but there, there are also behavioral health advanced directives, which we rarely see people actually having them in place, but if you're someone who um, has had periods of psychosis or periods of you know, severe mental illness where you've had to be hospitalized and you don't want to have certain medications given to you or you, you don't want certain treatment, um, you can spell all of that out too. So it's important to know that you know if you have a history of mental illness or if you have some expectation of possibly ending up in a in psychiatric treatment, you can also kind of specify specifically what you want in terms of behavioral health or psychiatry, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that advanced directives has uh, uh, been one of your your missions uh, in your job and and in your goal. Um, um, well, what other, uh, um, I guess, what other advice that w- would you have for families, especially, um, you know, families taking, you know, who have, uh, you know, um, yeah, geriatric patients, older patients, or parents, um, as far as from your point of view, uh, what kind of things can they do, you know, before there's a crisis situation um, to help out their family members? Well, I some some of the stuff that I wish a lot more families understood or, or were prepared for um, involve advanced directives, um, but also um, understanding the difference between facilities. Um, a lot of my time is spent um, explaining different facilities. A lot of people think that all nursing homes are pretty much the same, that you can just pick one, go with it, um, that all of them magically have empty beds available when you want to place mom or grandma there. And um, a lot of people don't understand the difference between an assisted living or independent living even um, and an actual skilled nursing facility and the difference in cost. Um, Insurance doesn't cover assisted living. It's usually an out-of-pocket expense, although Medicaid has, um, there's a Medicaid waiver program, but as of right now that involves 
um, a pretty significant weight a lot of the time. Um, so it's just important for people to understand where their loved one is in the stages of their dementia. I would recommend um, if you have someone who's diagnosed with dementia or you have concerns about their memory or their cognitive ability and you think they might have dementia, it's important to have them screened regularly um, and keep track of where they're at with their dementia because depending on where they're at with that progression, um, you know, that, that plays in a lot to uh, what kind of facility they could be placed in or, what, or for you to gauge when it's time for them not to be at home anymore. Um, you know, there are, certain, there are a limited number of nursing facilities that will take someone who is at a point with their dementia where they're, they're consistently combative or agitated, current, uh, frequently need PRN medications, or can't be um, trusted not to wander off. Um, you know, it's important to know the difference between all those facilities. And that's, a lot of my time is spent doing that, kind of giving lists of all the county facilities and then marking each one, you know, this facility is not really appropriate for mom, uh, this facility rarely has beds available, um, a lot of the nicer facilities, you know, it's going to be a long waiting list. And um, it's also important to, to know what to look for when you go into a nursing home. A lot of these places will, you know, I'll get a patient who she's pretty, he or she is pretty advanced with their dementia. and we, we need a locked dementia unit, um, locked behavioral dementia unit on, on a nursing home. And there's four or five in the county, and I, I'm working with the family to try and have them tour those specific facilities. But they're, they're looking at this really beautiful facility on a lake that Aunt Margie went to, and she had a wonderful stay, and they have a chef there. And, and it's just um, you have to keep in mind what's important um, each facility spends money differently, and they staff differently, and the cost is different based on, you know, what they focus on. Uh, a lot of these facilities that are beautiful have great upholstery. They're in great locations. They always have long waiting lists. Um, they have that money to spend because they don't spend the mo they don't have to spend the money on increased staffing for behavioral patients. So if you have dad frequently tearing out of the house with no clothes on and he's punching people and he's throwing kicks and he needs to be kept safe, that facility is not appropriate. You need to be looking at a place that maybe the decor is not up to date, but they have twice as many nurses on staff every day. And it might cost a bit more, but you're paying more to have more nurses per patient. And it's important to look at all of those things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so glad you, that you brought that up because, uh, yeah, I, I do have that discussion with my patients uh, and families as well. Um, and there's a, there's a myth out there um, that, you know, if they bring mom or dad, you know, to the ER in a crisis situation, they'll be able to pick exactly what type of facility that they can go to because of whatever. And uh, um, it is all of those factors that, that you've mentioned as far as, um, you know, the, the complexity of care, not only their complexity of medical care, because you know, some of these patients have complex medical diagnosis, too, in addition to their mental health diagnosis. Um, and is that facility appropriate uh, for, that, uh, for that person, um, especially if they do have you know, Alzheimer's or dementia? Are they going to be wandering off? Uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of stories, and you probably heard a lot of them, too, where uh, patients were put in the wrong, you know, wrong facility for them, um, and they just walked out the back door 
Um, and, you know, they couldn't find them for a few hours because they needed a special type of unit where they, you know, they can't walk um, off the floor, they can't walk out of the building. Um, so that's another type of uh, situation that families have to uh, uh, consider, and also the cost as well. Um, you, know, it's, you, know, you know, most insurances, they don't pay, you know, actually all of them pay 100%, except if they're, qualify for you know a skilled type of unit or that type of thing but you know all the amenities you're right all the amenities you know um you know patients and families have to pay for out of pocket and i think that's a myth out there and uh and you're right you know families and patients kind of definitely have to know this before um this crisis situation happens and, and you're right it, it usually never happens and um, and it takes, you know, someone like you to really explain this, which can be very frustrating, I would presume, uh, you know, cause this is their, you know, usually their parents or their grandparents, um, and, uh, trying to navigate families through this system is very frustrating. There's a lot of, um, and there, people focus on things that they, that, that are important, but aren't as important as is the patient going to be safe. A lot of people focus on location and what the nursing home looks like, um, which are two of the least important things when it really comes to, I, I mean, it's, it's one thing if grandma's 92 and she's got all her faculties about her and she just needs to be in a place that's going to give her her medicine on time and is going to prepare her meals for her and has, you know, a nice atmosphere. That's one thing. But if you're dealing with a patient on my unit, um, I'm coaching those families uh, usually redirecting them away from focusing on, well, that's too far from my house, or I went in there and all the pictures on the wall were old and the carpet was old, and, you know, I'm usually coaching those families to say, you know, look at how many nurses are working. Look at how many patients there are and look at how many nurses there are. Go into the nursing home when you have not scheduled, um, when you've not scheduled a visit and look at how they're hand going during a meal time. That's a really great time. It usually is a little hectic. Look how they're handling that. Um, the other thing is, if, you're, if, if I tell you grandma needs a locked unit or mom needs a locked unit, um, I'll usually say I need, they need an actual locked unit. A, a lot of nursing homes will claim to have a dementia unit, and then they use things like wander guards, which just set off an alarm if the person wanders away from a certain area or they have locked doors that aren't really locked, where if you push on them for more than you know, a certain number of seconds, they open anyway. And there are certain patients and there's a certain type of dementia behavior that that is not safe. So I usually, um, you know, I usually do a lot of clarifying with that. You know, look, at, look at the staffing, look at how they handle things, and if they tell you they have a locked unit, ask them what they mean by a locked unit and ask them to explain it. And also, describe the behavior that your loved one has, like what type of behavior do they display, and then ask them for specific examples of patients they've had like that and how they've handled that situation very specifically. And you'll either find out that they haven't had patients like your mom or your grandma, and that's not a good sign, or they've handled it, and, and if you ask them for specifics and they have trouble giving you specifics, you know, that's, that's not a good sign either. They should have very clear and concise answers and examples of many people they've handled who are just like your loved one so that you know they're prepared for the kind of behavior they're going to see when you move he, him or her in. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, all those are good points. Uh, there's a question in the chat room that that, that, that I can I can answer. Um, there's a question about um, uh, the the two day stay for um, for skilled care, and uh, I've been working with 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 my hospital on this, and uh, um, and there's also a, a kind of a, a myth and a misperception from the physician point of view too, because it uh, um, the, the, it used to be um, that uh, for the medical patient this may be different for the psychiatric patient, but for the medical patient, um, uh, patients used to have to be admitted for two days and then they can go to the nursing home. Um, but, uh, uh, but Medicare is really um, kind of um, cracking down on that um, in that um, you know, patients can't be admitted for quote-unquote placement uh, anymore. There has to be some kind of medical diagnosis, uh, whether it's dehydration or whether it's you know some kind of you know, something where the hospital has to do something, whether it's physical therapy or occupational therapy or medical treatment or evaluation or something like that. Um, and uh, I'm in the process right now of, of, of trying to help my hospital, my medical staff, uh, try to understand that better because it wasn't like that in the past. So, um, so it takes education not only from the family standpoint but from uh, the provider, the physician standpoint as well. So I do want to address that uh, question in the chat room, but it's 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 got to be it's got to be very frustrating, you know, because you know, there's a lot of especially around here where where I live, um, you know, the nursing homes um, they put on their pamphlet, oh well, you can get into our nursing home, but you just have to admit, be admitted to the hospital for two days. So go to the hospital and then uh, has to be admitted there, um, and that's really bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're trying we're trying to work through that. Yeah, yeah, we're we're trying to work through that now, and 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 I know that that you're probably working through this a lot too. Is that sometimes they can be they can be placed from the emergency room, um, and uh, that usually doesn't happen around here because it's never happened like that. <laughs> uh, so uh, so we're in the process of kind of reeducating not only the hospital but but our uh, nursing home and skilled facilities as well. Um, so so that was just that that was a. a Kind of an inside baseball uh, technical ex- explanation for the for the people in the chat room, but uh, um, there's a lot. There are a lot of hoops to jump through, and I don't know how much you have to deal with, um, like pre-admission review. Um, there, there's an area agency on aging, and I don't know if you, Doctor Anonymous, have had to deal with the new changes, but there there are a lot of different forms now. Um, there are different ways to get people into a nursing home from a hospital. And it involves paperwork and pre-admission screening from area agency, um, which went from a three-page form to a seven-page form. And now, um, and it's very much not geared toward understanding geriatric psych. Um, you used to be able to do a pre-admission screen to get into a nursing. Before anyone goes to a nursing home, they have to have a pre-admission screen. It's called a pass. Some people will call it a convalescent form. Some people will call it a pass. Um, whatever you want to call it, someone has to be screened, the, the patient has to be screened, even in the community, by area agency before they get into a nursing home. Um, that process um, has a further review process if the person has a primary behavioral health diagnosis. So you can imagine how much um, of an issue it is to try and get somebody with a primary diagnosis of schizophrenia into a nursing home. And the, the idea behind that pre-admission screen is to make sure that people are not warehousing psych patients in nursing homes. That's basically where it came from. Um, but that screen now 
it used to be that if the primary diagnosis was dementia, which for some reason area agency doesn't consider to be a psychiatric diagnosis, even though it's in the DSM-4 and it's, you know, it is a psychiatric diagnosis. Oh, no, I know. I know where Um, you're coming from. (laughs) uh, Even though it's, it's, they don't consider it a psychiatric diagnosis, and it used to be that as soon as you marked on that form that the primary diagnosis is dementia, didn't matter if there were secondary diagnosis of major depression or obsessive compulsive disorder or whatever, um, you were good to go. No further review. And further review can take up to two weeks. The state has to come in and assess the patient. It, it, it locks down the patient. They're stuck in the hospital until all of that goes through. It's a nightmare. And um, now with this new form, that's not necessarily the case. The person can have a dementia diagnosis um, and also a behavioral health diagnosis, major depression, or it, and um, a lot of those are, are tripping the screen too, which is creating longer length of stay, which you know is a total nightmare in a hospital. It's um, insurance company's nightmare. It's all they obsess about. And um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of hoops, a lot of hoops, and uh, so little of it um, anymore seems to be about getting this little old lady into this safe environment. Um, there's just so many hoops you have to jump through before you can put grandma in the right place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but so, but before I move on to this topic, I, I, I'd, uh, I'd like to um, uh, kind, of, kind of end on an up note um, as far as um, you know, as far as your role, you know, in getting grandma into in, into into the right uh, into the right and appropriate setting. Um, you know, kind of maybe share with us a little bit, nothing really specific, but I mean, you know, how it is to, to, you know, help these families um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and what you get from that. Because, I mean, you know, everybody has good days and bad days and things, but, you know, um, you know share with us, you know, when something where you're like, hey, you know, I, I, I really did something or, or this family really, um, you know, that they, they have the right information um, and they really made the right decision, and, uh, you know, I think this patient or this person is going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and to be clear, you know, I chose to move into this area of psych um, because I went up to cover one week, and we had been covering the unit for several months without a full-time social worker up there, and I, I loved it. So I don't mean to give the impression that it's all difficult and everything because the bottom line is the elderly are often adorable, even in their demented state and even, you know, when they're raising hell, um, they're, you know, they're funny. Um, they've got a lot of wisdom, even when they've lost a lot of their other faculties. Um, they're just a lot of fun. They're really adorable. And, and yes, I have to do a lot of explaining to families, um, but I would say a lot of the time, um, and I don't want to say that it's more so on geriatric psych, but I get to experience it more on geriatric psych than adult psych. Um, the families are starved for the information, and getting the information is something they're just incredibly grateful for a lot of the time. It may take a lot more time to make them understand, and it may take a lot of reframing the situation for them, and it may take a lot of long conversations about realistic expectations and what's going to happen down the line and preparing them, the family preparing themselves for, for what comes next or processing what's already happened. 
Um, but I have to say a lot of the families, are they're starved for that information and for someone to guide them in that way. And so there's a lot of gratitude. I get to, I get to work with families who need the information, want the information, and then when that information helps them put their elderly loved one in the right place, um, it's a really good feeling. And, I, and often families will call me back and say, wow, Grandma did really great in this nursing home. She just settled right in. She's made a little friend. Her and her roommate are ta already talking about going on outings together and blah, blah, blah. And, or, you know, someone who had been throwing punches at, 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 at an assisted living, put them in a more structured um, dementia unit on a, in a skilled nursing facility. Wow. Uh, grandpa hasn't thrown a fit in two weeks. He hasn't gone, he hasn't punched a nurse in a while. He has, you know, they just, um, they're handling things differently and he's doing really well and the structure's been great. So there, um, there's a lot of advantages to, advantages to doing it. And plus, I mean, it's just, um, it's so much fun working with those, those people. You know, some of it's sad and some of it's hard, but sometimes older people are just hilarious too. <laughs> Uh, and it's definitely a, a you know a thankless job, and uh, uh, it is uh, the, the work that uh, that you guys do is just it's just incredible. Um, I, I don't even know how you uh, keep all that information straight because I know that um, you know I, I rely on case man my case managers, social workers just to kind of explain to me, hey, what does this mean, or what does that mean, or what if we do this, or what if we go in that direction? Um, it definitely helps me try to. Um, you know, figure out um, how I'm going to advise families and patients on, on uh, you know, what to do next, um, you know, because I kind of what I know what to do from a treatment standpoint, but as far as from a setting, um, where they're supposed to be, what the appropriate facility is, what kind of facility it is, um, you know, definitely, you know, you guys do uh, great work, and it's, it's definitely, you know, a whole team concept uh, to take care of people, and I really didn't appreciate that until until I started working in an inpatient setting and saying, "Hey, this is what I need to know um, for this and that," and uh, and uh, you know, and you guys definitely helped me with that. Yeah, and and I think doctors being receptive to that, and I'm I'm really lucky to work with a really great geriatric psychiatrist and um, uh, several of them, but. Um, you know, the, the unit's great. It's built in a very team-centered fashion, and um, it's really great to work with doctors who want that information and use that information. You know, when I say, hey, today might not be a good day for discharge because the family doesn't have the bed in the house yet and they don't have the, you know, like we may need to hold off or, you know, it's just it's just good to have all this information and to be part of that team. I, I definitely work in an environment where I'm part of that decision-making process, and I'm part of the team, and we're helping the family together, and um, that's really cool. Well, cool, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's been great talking to you about this. Um, you know, I know you and I have been trying to trying to come up with with the best time to, to talk about this uh, you know, patient-related stuff, and and uh, it's. Uh, it, it's been very cool. It's great. Uh, but I, I think now it's time to get a little bit geeky. What, what do you think? <laughs> I, I will always talk about geeky things. <laughs> All right. We'll take a little bit of a break. Um, our guest is Brandis. You can find her at uh, brandis.net. Uh, I'll take a little bit of a break after the break. That's right. Brandis and the iPad. I know people are, people are on the edge of their seats wanting to uh, listen to this. So we'll be right back here on the Dr. Anonymous show. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 
Yes, that's right. Lowering your blood pressure one point at a time. This is the Dr. Anonymous show. We'll uh, kind of raise the tempo here a little bit. And our guest down the line here is uh, Brandis. You can find her at brandis.net. And, uh, you know, iPad, you know, I, what, 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 uh, can you kind of take me through the little thought process there? Cause there was one day I was sitting there and I think it must've been iPad release day. And I saw this tweet from you, maybe it was the day after and you're, and you said, Oh, uh, maybe I'm thinking about actually getting an iPad. Can you kind of take me through that uh, little thought process there? Well, here's the thing with the iPad. I could, and I tried for months. I tried to find a reason that I needed an iPad. And the bottom line is, you don't need an iPad. Like if you have a laptop, you have a working computer, and you have an iPhone, it's, and I have a netbook too. I, I have like no justification for this device. And so I basically had come to the conclusion that I didn't need it. I, we just bought a house, so there are other things to spend money on. You know, we need to pave the driveway and all this, you know, stuff that houses need. It's infuriating. So um, <laughs> I... I decided um, I wasn't going to get one. And then um, the Saturday that it came out, um, I got up pretty early, putzed around the house, and then I sat down at the computer. And four hours later, I realized that I had been stalking every person on the Internet who had waited in line and got their iPad. Me too. Um, my <laughs> well, my husband came in and found me watching the promo video on Apple.com and um, was just like, oh, like I, I, I guess I looked pretty sad, and he's like, um, "Okay, you, you just need to get one of those for your birthday. Like this, that needs to be your birthday present." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> I'm like, "I don't need it. I don't need it." Um, so he spent the next 24 hours. He spent the next 24 hours convincing me that I needed an iPad, which has never happened in the history of my relationship with my husband. He's not a geek. Doesn't he's like you know we'll sell my laptop to offset the cost and I'll take your netbook since you won't need it anymore and you, your birthday's coming up it's it's on the 21st and so that I'll we'll we'll figure it out and and the next thing I know he's driving to Beechwood because Best Buy is closed he drove all the way to Beechwood about it's well over an hour drive from where I'm at in Ohio yeah and, uh, <laughs> yeah and um. He uh, and he actually left a family function to go do it too, which which was really funny. Um, it was on Easter, and uh, comes back and um, I got an iPad, and I freaking love it. Like uh, I I can't even say how much I love it. All right, so take 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 me through this. So um, all right, so so you get it. Now huh? I've been reading some things that now did you buy any applications before you bought your iPad? Um. Not really, because I didn't think I was getting one. Um, I, I downloaded some free ones in anticipation of possibly getting one, like the night before Jim ended up going to Beechwood. Um, I downloaded some free ones, just you know, like this sort of, okay, maybe I do want one, and maybe I can have one for my birthday, hopeful kind of thing. I downloaded some. Um, but yeah, I've, I've paid for some for several since. So tell me about tell me about the initial syncing process because I heard that some people uh, went through a long syncing process. I don't know if they had like two thousand applications that they were trying to sync up. But did, did you have a long initial sync process uh, when you first got it? No, no. It was actually um, it was it was pretty simple. Um, you when you sync it up, um, you can set it up so that it would load everything you had on your iPhone. 
for people who had an iPhone, it will just, you, do you want us to load the settings and the apps and everything you had on your iPhone? And I didn't do that because I got the Wi-Fi iPad, so I'm thinking I have applications that I'm just not going to use on this thing. Um, I didn't put the location-based apps on there because it's like, you know, I'm, I, I'll still have my phone for a lot of things is the bottom line. You know, the, the phone I still keep my music on because it's portable, and when I go running, it's like that's where I want my music anyway. And um, so I, I started fresh. I set up everything fresh like it's a totally separate device. Um, I only loaded the applications that I thought I would actually use, and I've actually since de uh, deleted a lot of them. So okay. not really a not really a, a a long drawn out process at all. So so uh, so you said I guess kind of going back. So you have like almost every device in between. So what was it because everybody else was getting one, or did you kind of have a a function in mind for it, or I mean, yes. what uh, I, I I don't know. Okay, I am a humongous, humongous comic book nerd. Ah, okay, and well, okay, I, there you go. I have a Kindle, and and um, I have a first generation Kindle. I inherited my mom's old Kindle when she bought the new one, and um, so I've and I love it, and I love reading on my phone. Um, but there is no device up until this one that allows you to easily read um, digital comics. And it is awesome for digital comics. It's also awesome for book reading. A lot of people have had this whole, that there's all this speculation that um, a, a tablet-sized computer would be worse to read on than a Kindle because of the e-ink um, screen type situation. And I really haven't noticed, I, I think there's so much screen real estate that it, I mean, it's such a, I mean, the font's big enough, and you can adjust the font if you want it bigger. Um, it's a really smooth reading experience. It's really nice. Um, and I just use the Kindle Book app because it already has all my Kindle books. Um, I haven't really used the iBooks application much because I just um, I still have my Kindle. And the only thing that the disadvantage with the reading is um, the screen, the reflective type surface, isn't good for reading outside. So the Kindle is great for reading on the beach. So I might hang on to it. I might not. I'm not really decided. I've never actually used my Kindle to read on the beach. So, you know, but that's the only real disadvantage, I think, in hmm. terms of reading. Okay. okay. Um, and what what are your favorite app applications now other than the, the, uh, the Kindle for iPad? Okay, let me open this uh, puppy up and take a look here. Um, obviously, the Kindle application. Um, in terms of, let's see, um, the Comics app, which is through Comixology uh, and Marvel, both have really great um, easily obtained comics. You can get download them through the device. Um, the ABC player is pretty cool um, to do the streaming, uh, streaming ABC shows. Uh, the 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 uh, newspaper applications are really cool. The USA Today app is pretty neat. And, it, and a lot of these apps, um, I mean, I now have a pretty good feel for like what I can use offline versus when I'm online, because at work I don't have any um, Wi-Fi connection or anything. And USA Today, um, it still loads the most recent version of the paper um, from the last time it was connected to a Wi-Fi network, um, which it does like even when it's not on, it seems to use like the push option to um, regularly kind of update things. 
Um, so that, that's neat. There's a really cool application called Xenio, which um, has all your t like tabloid, National Geographic, basically all magazines, nice. or at least a huge selection of magazines. And you can download them individually. You can set up an account. They have um, free articles out of each issue, but if you want to read the whole issue, you can pay, you know, like it has People Magazine, US Weekly, it has National Geographic, um, and it looks beautiful on the screen, just like really fantastic, beautiful. Um, the WordPress app is pretty cool, and Netflix. Netflix streaming. So, 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 so sweet. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, now, I, have you have you purchased any kind of uh, like? Did you purchase any movies for your iPhone or anything, or be uh, able I don't to try to function? I don't really. Um, I didn't. I didn't really with my iPhone, and I don't watch a ton of. I have a um, an Apple TV, so if we do movies, we tend to. You know, Jim's got the high def television, so watching movies on a little computer screen is sort of sacrilege in our household, according to the husband, you know. So um, I don't do a lot of that, but there are shows that I just watch and he doesn't, and, you know, it's a lot simpler to just stream it on Netflix. Um, I did pay, um, I have to say, I've never played that game, though. It's real popular in iTunes, in the App Store, uh, Diner Dash. You know, all those, like, where you're apparently, you know, a waitress and you take orders and then you serve people food and, and it's all about doing it in the right order and serving people and seating them fast enough and stuff. And I downloaded wow. Diner Dash for the iPad and then lost like four hours of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. I never use them on the iPhone, but like it's it's like there's so much screen. It's like you're sitting with a little restaurant and um a lot of people know Plants vs. Zombies. It is yes. sweet. It is sweet on the iPad. I mean, seriously, it's just those two games. Um, last weekend, I probably wasted an entire day between those two games and reading. It, it, it was really cool. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. And uh, you're probably going to say the same thing everyone else has said. Uh, the battery life, what's your experience dealing with the battery life? Great. Um, I haven't actually used it a lot today because I had a pretty crazy work day and came home and did other things, but um, it hasn't been plugged in since yesterday morning, and it's at 100% because I haven't used it much. Um, so in standby, it's like golden, and um, I don't think I've ever had it go below 70% in a day. Um, it's really pretty phenomenal battery life. Um, and in term I do want to say there's, there are disadvantages. Um, I don't want to make it sound like the genius, like perfect device that doesn't need any improvements, um, because any of the iPhone apps that you download or transfer from your iPhone, et cetera, um, that aren't yet iPad optimized, they look kind of crappy. They're like, they initially show up like this tiny little iPhone sized screen, and then you can hit the 2x button and like double the resolution, and then it's all pixelated. So I will say, um, there's not a ton of, there aren't a ton of apps that are iPad optimized yet that like I'm scrambling for. Um, and some of the, like Facebook, Facebook isn't iPad optimized yet. I mean, that's just kind of bizarre to me. I mean, yeah, it's really, really bizarre. And, and some of the apps, they look so badly 
in the, like the small, not iPad optimized versions that I've just gone ahead and deleted them. Like it, it mm. had to be like a really crucial app for me to keep it when it's not optimized because it really does not. It just doesn't look good. Uh, so, uh, camera, do you care that it has one that doesn't have one? Was that a big, you know, no, thing that you care. cared about? No, and it's it's interesting because um, I also don't care that it's not 3G. And I, I'll probably have some, you know, like nerd envy with people who have the 3G one. But I feel like if I'm carrying around an iPhone in my pocket, why? I mean, I don't need to have the Internet on my iPad all the time. I just feel like you've got to sometimes disconnect. And I feel like, you know, I really debated on the whole 3G versus Wi-Fi. And I felt like I would never disconnect from the Internet ever if I got a 3G. And, and plus it's just, you know, an additional monthly cost that I can't justify. Even the $15 a month, you know, and you can stop it and start it when you want to. Um, I just feel like if you really need to do something, it can be done on the iPhone on the fly. Or, you know, it's just... Um, I felt like it was a good boundary for me to put by getting the Wi-Fi device. It was like if I'm out and I'm at a restaurant and I'm at dinner and I want to look up something on the Internet and it's that important that I need to, like, interrupt dinner or something, um, I can use my iPhone and be done. I don't need to whip out my my tablet computer. And, you know, it's just some t- – and, and I feel like that was a good boundary for me to set for myself because I feel like I have the potential to get too – immersed online, and I'm trying this year to get a little more outside the Internet and have a little more balance. So I feel like it's you just um, – I'll be, I'll be jealous. You're probably going to buy a 3G, and I'll be totally jealous. But at the same time, no. I know myself well enough to, to know that I don't need the 3G. You know, I was, uh, I was in Best Buy today, you know, and I'm like, you know – that Verizon MiFi looks really cool right now, and uh, I can just go a couple aisles over and just get my iPad. So I, I was just like going back and forth and back and forth again. I'm like, hey, you know, if I got a MiFi, then I can not only get internet here, but I can do this and I can do it anywhere. So I'm like really going back and forth too. Should I just wait for the 3G, or should I just, you know, get get the MiFi and get it over with? So I'm kind of going back and forth too. So. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, that, so do did you, did you see using the iPad for any kind of work-related, um, you know, activities at all? Yeah, I think um, when they have a good app for it, it would be really great to use for, mm-hmm. like, basic note-taking. Um, I haven't found a good reason to carry it around and use it at work yet um, because there aren't apps that make it worth it and um, I kind of have a system of my own for a lot of things and I I would be worried about having patient information on it Um, so there's a you know I carried it around for a few days but it was mostly just because like I knew a lot of coworkers would want to check it out and um, I've since not carried it around much but I think with the right applications it's that's a total game changer Um, you know I think with doctors um, using, like, like we use, uh, I don't know, the software Play-Doh. We use, we're we're doing EMAR. We're, you know, everything's going electronic. And I think for doctors it would be a huge tool when they have the right applications to support that. For me, a a lot of it's a little less, um, a lot of what I do involves less computer work. 
and more like logistical stuff that you know I don't I don't know that the iPad is going to become like a crucial work tool but so so you don't use your like netbook for anything or you know that type of electronic stuff at all I mean it's a lot of it is what you do is a lot of paper based type of stuff well there's there's stuff that I could do um, that's internet based that um, uh, for instance I use uh, a, a system called Eason. Uh, it's by all scripts. Uh, it's an electronic basic like way of communicating with area nursing homes. It, it has all the nursing homes in the state in it, and you can do put in referrals that way electronically, that kind of thing. Um, it does the, the site doesn't work in anything but Internet Explorer. So epic fail, and I, I I doubt it would work on my iPad because it won't work on my MacBook, which is really kind of crappy when I'm on call. Um, and working from home, so some, right. some of it's logistical for me. Like if I had a Wi-Fi, if I had a Wi-Fi login for the protected Wi-Fi network at work, and I could do some of that that stuff uh, in my lap in a patient's room. Yeah, that would totally be uh, that would totally change things. But currently, with my current setup, not really practical, or uh, yeah. not very useful. And that's kind of where I'm at with things too. Is that you know I I, I keep reading you know medical blog posts about the potential 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 for iPad and you know I, I don't see the justification for me at this point to get one specifically for work. Um, yeah. You know and don't tell don't tell anybody because but I did get a, a netbook at Best Buy. <gasps> oh yes, I know big big like uh, you know people are like really a netbook. Wow, what's it like uh, with Windows 7, you traitor? I'm like, yeah, calm down. <laughs> um, but my, you know, I, I mean, my hospital system is still like Windows XP. I mean, that's how. Yeah, uh, so it's like I can't, you know, before I even would want to see what the iPad is, I would like to kind of see what, you know, what kind of learn a little bit about a Windows-based system before I can see if it can transition over to, you know, yeah. a Mac OS or an iPad or something like that. So, um, so yeah, so I'm really kind of wavering because I, you know, it, 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 what I'm seeing now, and it's been, what, two weeks since it's been out, uh, that it is a lot of, you know, content consumption device, which ah. I really don't do that much because I don't have the time to do it. Um, and when I want to create stuff like a blog post or video or something like that, I need more of a workhorse type of computer, a desktop or you know my MacBook Pro or something like that. So well, I, I haven't I really found a place for the, for the iPad yet for me. Well, and and that's the thing is I I think ultimately right now because there aren't a lot of specific apps for it and there people are still fe feeling out how it's useful. It is still like purely a luxury thing. Um, but I will say, one of the things that completely shocked me about this thing, I have the Apple case for it, the one that kind of props it up like an easel in different positions and stuff. It's really cool. Um, so I opened the keyboard in Landscape for the first time, and it completely blew me away. Like possibly the coolest thing about this thing is, you know, when Jim got mine, they didn't have any of the, the docking keyboard that you could like dock it into this physical keyboard and type on it. Um, so I just had the iPad, and I was kind of bummed because I thought it would be awful to type on this thing. It is literally the coolest on-screen keyboard I've ever used. I, I mean, you literally just type like you're typing on a physical keyboard, and it all comes out perfectly. It, it totally, totally 
floored me how great the keyboard is in landscape. It's, it's, you know, I type emails, I've typed blog entries. It is way more intuitive and, and just, it's, it's pure genius. The keyboard impressed me more than anything else on the device. So, so here, here's my next question for you because uh, for people who don't know, you are a huge supporter and you know, past participant of National uh, <laughs> Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. Are you going to NaNoWriMo on your iPad this year? Oh, totally. Although I will say for NaNoWriMo, um, that involves a lot of speed. And I will say it's a little slower typing on, on the iPad because it doesn't, um, it doesn't have a, a completely full-size keyboard. So there are some keys that don't show up. You have to do like a, you know, like you do on the iPhone. You have to hit a button to get more characters. Um, so I would use the external like dockable keyboard for, for NaNoWriMo just because that's all about like I need to use my 90 words a minute key, uh, keystroke type thing for, for NaNoWriMo. But definitely, I am definitely going to be using the iPad for sure. Well, well, something I've seen people to do too is is, is they get the um, uh, the Apple um, Bluetooth keyboard and and they kind of prop up using the case and they type that way too. I've seen people try that and instead of that huge dock thing. Yeah, and I I kind of I thought about that and Jim actually came home with that keyboard. Um, and I, I really like the idea of it propping the iPad up as well because um, it's a little unwieldy. Um, and also, the case that I have doesn't prop it up in the way that it would need to be propped to, um, to use it the way you would use it with the dockable keyboard. So um, I would want the dockable keyboard. And the, I don't like the idea of having to find a way to prop up the iPad and using this other not-attached keyboard. So not a huge – the other thing um, I wanted to mention, too, is that um, I got the lowest memory – That I got the, what, 16 gig? Yep. Um, and I really don't feel like you need a whole lot more than that. I mean, I'm not even close to being full because I didn't put my music on it because I have all my music on my iPhone, and I have the 32 gig iPhone. So – and my, I like my music being a little more portable. I like hooking it up in my car. I like strapping it on my arm and going jogging. So I don't put it on the iPad because anywhere I'm going to have the iPad, I'll have my phone in my pocket. And, um, and yeah, I, did, I, I mean, I have some pictures on there, but I'm not even close to like a quarter of the way full. And I'm totally good on space. I just wanted to mention the, the, that too. I, I don't feel like you need a lot of space for this because it's more of a peripheral device rather than a primary device. At least from the, my the thing, the, the thing I get a little concerned about that is that as, as they develop more and more applications, more cool, cool applications, um, uh, yeah. it, they could be a pretty good size. Or if they come up with stuff for like text or you know, you know, uh, that requires files and stuff. That that's where I get concerned is that where you may get jammed up as the development process starts to go on. No, and I totally I totally hear you there too. And I but I think by the time we get to a point where it's like that, I'll probably be upgrading to a new iPad anyway. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and someone someone mentioned in the um, chat you need iPad iPhone tethering. Um, I have to say I'm secretly waiting for someone to. I may. 
um, be aware of someone who owns a jailbroken iPhone. I won't say that it's me, but it's like you know someone I somebody know of. Yeah. So you're gonna so you you would jailbreak your you would jailbreak your iPad for that. Um. Well, I'm I'm wondering if my if this person's jailbroken iPhone. Um, which has that PDA net which allows for tethering, will eventually figure out a way to allow you to use the iPhone to tether and create a 3G connection for the iPad. That's the other reason I'm kind of like, I'm going to wait and see what people come up with before I drop some money on the, the 3G. You know, it's a good boundary not to have it all the time, but then also I kind of feel like somebody's going to figure that out. <laughs> well. Uh, let's see. Let's see if there's anything else I wanted to ask you about uh, about the iPad. Um, is there anything that you're looking forward to as far as you know other? Um, is, is the comic book app everything that you w would want it to be? Uh, yeah, and there's um the, the the two that I mentioned are the ones that you can like purchase comic books through it, and then there are some others that like if you already have digital comic book files, it reads them, and they're really doing some cool. It's it's like. Comic, the comic book industry has just been waiting for this. And um, they have some really great apps that are, you know, you click on the voice bubbles in the, in the panels and it, and it zooms up the, the dialogue so you can read it easily, that kind of thing. Um, I think this device is going to be a game changer for content consumption. Um, YouTube, when you're looking at things on the Internet, it doesn't launch the YouTube app when you're watching a YouTube video. It keeps it in the browser and lets you watch the YouTube video. Um, and, and the magazine app, I mean, it's phenomenal. The magazines look beautiful. I mean, it's just it's great for content consumption. Just, I mean, it's just a beautiful device to like sit and take some stuff in. It's, it's just really cool. Yeah, well, when I was in Best Buy today, I, I looked at my uh, my site and um, and I, I tweeted about it too that I didn't realize how much Flash that I use on my uh, on my site uh, uh, until I tried to look it up on the iPad and I couldn't really just see anything. <laughs> oh yeah, I know, and and I I've, I've kind of been thinking about it. It's like people who don't use YouTube are kind of shooting themselves in the foot until other video players are more accessible on on you know mobile devices because it's not even just it's not just the iPhone or the iPad but really any mobile device you know flash just doesn't fly and they're talking about with the new HTML what is it HTML5 or something yeah it's a new way to play video that where you're not going to need flash which is really exciting um and yeah so i would recommend well, I mean, I YouTube I, I, have a, I have a lot of my stuff on, on Vimeo, and I read that they have HTML5, but then when I started grading the details, you can, you can have HTML5 when you're on their site. But if you embed it like on my site, then you can't see it. <laughs> so that's like a big fail right there. So uh, maybe I'll just put all my stuff on YouTube for a while because the people on an iPad, they'll be like, hey, your site sucks. And be like, oh well, then I can have a lot of flash on it. You're like, well, then well, and yeah, you know, and, fail. And it's like the bottom line. Is, the bottom line is um, Apple's clearly not going to cave on the flash issue, and it's clearly not just Apple because it's not like Droid busted out flash as soon as they came out the door. <clears throat> it's not like Blackberry's rocking the flash thing. You know, it's it's clearly flash is an issue for whatever reason, and. Um, you know, for me, it's just like it's kind of a no-brainer right now. Even though I'm not a huge, I'm not, it's not like I'm a YouTube fan or anything. I think it's 
YouTube can be a nightmare to sift through and everything, but when you're talking about making your video accessible to anyone, I mean, YouTube's kind of the option that's, you know, you're going to be the most accessible. That's why I switched largely to using YouTube when I post to my blog, because it's just like, hey, somebody's going to look at that on their iPhone. You know, you can look at your Google Reader feeds on your iPhone, and like, if you can't watch the video instantly, I'm going to forget it about it. You know, I'm not going to save it for when I'm at my computer. I'll, I'll forget about that post, and I'll just never see the video. And knowing that I do that makes me understanding of the fact that, like, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, I'm sitting here with my iPad. If I can't see it on my iPad, I'm just going to move on. Exactly. So so I'm going to have to spend some time to shift a lot of my stuff over to, to YouTube um, for a while so it's people can actually see my, yeah, yeah. Which is going to be a pain, but I'm like, well, you know, if they're just going to not, you know, if they're going to go there and say, well, this sucks, then move on. Well, that's not good either. So, um, so that'll Even be interesting. Facebook hasn't found a good way to make their videos viewable on the iPhone. Oh no! And that's <sighs> kind of infuriating because isn't Facebook like taking over the damn universe and stuff? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um. All right. Anything else on the iPad? <clears throat> Um, just that it's beautiful and I love it so much. Wow, thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, so before I let you go, I, I did want to talk about your book. Uh, I did want to talk about uh, Columbus Groove, and uh, that's uh, I want to refer people to. Uh, I think it's ColumbusGroove.net, and also uh-huh. uh, Dr. Columbus Show uh, 114, where you talked about it. Um, for people uh, who uh, who don't know about it, maybe um, explain a little bit uh, what it is. Well, and first of all, like, I love the interview you did, and it's embedded on the Columbus Group website, and, like, it's what I direct people to if they want to hear, like, a long spiel about my book, because that was, like, the perfect interview for me to explain the book, so. Um, But the book is a collection of poetry. Um, It's uh, divided into three parts. Columbus Groove is the the title poem. Um, And it's a play on exploration and um, Christopher Columbus, not Columbus, Ohio, which I probably should have thought of living in Ohio um, when I titled the book. But that that poem was written at a pivotal time for me and about an important person, and um, so I just really wanted that to be the title of the book. But it's a book about relationships, uh, poems about relationships starts off a little sad uh, with the kind of relationships that aren't working out, they're falling apart, they break and you have to leave them behind. And then the middle part is about seeking out the right relationship, finding the right person, um, looking for what you think you need at the time or what you want at the time. And then the third part is about finding it. It's the happier stuff. It ends, I like to end things on a happy note. So it, uh, it ends on a happier note. It's a real small collection. And uh, I saw I see on your blog uh, or your, your website, whatever, uh, Brandis.net, um, that uh, every once in a while I'm still having some book signings and things. How how's that going? It's going pretty well. Um, and I really didn't have a lot of expectations with the book. You know, I self-published. Um, I did it for me because I wanted to do that at some point. And um, I've, um, you know, initially sold a lot of copies. Now it's, you know, every once in a while I'm having a lot of fun doing giveaways on Goodreads just so people are reading my stuff. You know, I'm not so much about, I don't, poets don't become rich off poetry anyway. And um, so I'm having fun just sharing it and, and going to book signings and meeting other local writers. That's been a lot of fun. 
um, just did one at a library a few weeks ago. I guess it's been more than a few weeks ago now, but um, it's it's been a lot of fun. I've met some other local writers, um, people that I didn't know were around here, and um, we've shared shared books, shared ideas, shared experiences, and um, it's just been a lot of fun. And I, I really I really think that I'll do it again. Um, would you, when you do it again, would you make uh, an electronic version for iBooks? Yes, and I have to tell you, I'm having the damnedest time making an electronic version of Columbus Groove. It's it's actually quite infuriating. I, I think it's because I have some sort of deficit at understanding how to convert. And and I and to and I also only have the document because it was typeset and designed for me by a graphic designer. I only have like a PDF version of the book, so it's been it's been very difficult to try and convert. And um, all the typical ways of easily converting a file into an ebook, they tend to screw with the formatting or the font, or the they they mush everything and take away the page breaks. And um, all of those things are really bad when you're trying to lay out a poetry book. It's I mean, it's it's not as big of a deal when you're reading, you know, prose, because you know it all flows together anyway. It's not a big deal, but with poetry, it's kind of like it it screws up the whole flow of everything. And um, oh yeah, the, the, challenging. Yeah, formatting in poetry is is uh, you know, essential. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm still working on doing that the best way. I'm not going to put out a digital version of Columbus Groove until I feel like it's. It represents all of the poetry in exactly the same way that the that the physical book does. So, stay tuned for oh, that. Cool. <laughs> great, great. Uh, and just with a few minutes left, I, I did want to touch on uh, on your house. Um, and uh, this is your first house, and uh, I wanted to ask you about that. How was that whole kind of process as far as finding it and? and bidding on it and moving in and um, that, I mean that's that, that's a huge deal Wow is it a huge deal? it's just um, that man if if you need if you if you're you're going along in life and you don't feel like you're a grown-up yet go out and buy a house because that'll really sober you up real quick <laughs> like, not not sober you I mean it's just um, wow it's just it's a lot to know that you own the house you're living in that you know, if something happens to it, you're going to have to cough up a lot of bucks to fix it. And, um, you know, we we closed on the house um, the Friday before Christmas, and we adopted two Tibetan Mastiffs two days later. What? So life changed. Um, yeah, our life changed, um, like, really quickly that week before Christmas. And it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, and But it's just been really fun, like, learning um, – we have this great yard with these great trees and um, already some great landscaping. Um, we have some holly bushes and we have uh, a lot of flowering trees and we have a magnolia tree and we have, you know, rose bushes and stuff. It's like we already have a lot of great stuff in place out in the yard. So this spring I've just been spending time identifying it all, um, enjoying the sunshine with the dogs and um, planting a vegetable garden uh, planting it. It's not planted yet. Uh, they're ivy. Don't ever plant ivy. I can't. <laughs> it's really hell to get back out of the ground. It's just a whole weekend project just to get one section of our ivy ripped out. Really never planting anything that climbs ever again. Wow. So, but it's 
it's been good. It's been a learning experience. The house is great. We have a bar um, in the basement and a fireplace, and um, we got really lucky with finding this house, and it was in great shape. It had already been moved out of. Um, the, the previous owner had actually, I think, gone to a nursing home and, and passed away there, and so the house had been was already sort of empty and ready for moving in. And so it, it's we got really lucky. We're in a great neighborhood and great yard and good stuff. That's great. That's great. And, and I know, uh, you know, I, I I appreciate you sending me invitations. I've been a bad friend and not have been out there to experience the bar. I mean, the house uh, yet. Uh, but uh, I know uh, one of these days, uh, you know, with with spring and summer coming up, uh, definitely gotta yeah. gotta head out there and uh, do some wild and, and crazy stuff out there. So uh, so that that ought to be a good time. It's good stuff. We got a great deck. Oh, we've got this crazy tree growing out of the deck. It's it, the the deck was sort of built around this beautiful dogwood tree. It's really pretty cool. And um, yeah, you got to come over see the bar. Jim has uh, cool. dipped out in beer signs and whatnot. Wow. Maybe I'll do a show out there, or maybe maybe I'll do a, 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 a Ustream uh, kind of uh, drinking party. I mean, a, a, a gathering of, uh, you know, of yeah, our, if you of come, our community. If you come over to drink at my house, we are totally streaming it on Ustream. <laughs> <laughs> you no heard it here first, kids. That would be... Uh, that would be so full of wind that it would be, uh, yeah, that would be... Uh, that would be awesome. Frightening, <laughs> awesome. One of those words. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, it, it would be so meta. So we would be streaming, and then I would be watching myself on your iPad. Um, yeah. And streaming with me drinking. So that would, that would be that would be so weird. It would blow your mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is, it's it's always fun when you come on, and uh, I'm glad that our our schedules were able to match up uh, for you to to come back. And uh, you know, we'll talk. I mean, it was it was a great, you know, a little bit more heavier, serious conversation. But I think uh, uh, it, it was it was great. Uh, just kind of talking it from your point of view yeah. and then from my point of view. And I know we've we've been talking about this for a long time to do this and and to geek out um, as well. So. Yeah, Thanks for having uh, me. It's, it's always a lot of fun. Well, great. So, well, thank you. This. So, the, the site is net. Go and check her out over there in columbusgroove.net. Uh, um, and uh, um, I know later this year you'll be uh, you'll be doing your NaNoWriMo on the uh, on the iPad. And I know, and, and I shared this yep. with you uh, a couple weeks ago when when we had our guests on that uh, um, I, I had a, a guest on um, who. Uh, um, she started her. She's an author. She has a book, but she started out writing uh, writing uh, for NaNoWriMo, and uh, she gave me some grief about uh, doing it. And now you've you've been trying to get me to join that for the past few years. So one of these times, I'll get in there and write something. One of these days, I'm gonna hammer away at you every year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Brandon. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, I have to I have to head over there. And if I you know when I do head over there. Yes, we will be streaming, and uh, there'll be evidence, and uh, I will Got never it. be able to run for public office. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks so much. Okay, well, we'll talk very soon. We'll see you later. Okay, bye. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my show here tonight here, kids. Thank you so much. Uh, so uh, since I'm having so much fun here, um, I will be having a short post show here uh, right afterward, and uh, – 
just so I can uh, just chat with everybody a little bit. Just a little, little post-game conference <laughs> at our DodgerAnonymous.tv. I'll be tweeting that out as well. I won't be going very long tonight as far as the post-show, but just kind of wanted to just chat with everybody afterwards. So uh, right after the show here, which will be in about uh, two minutes, you can go over to DodgerAnonymous.tv. And, yes, I will be firing up the uh, the Ustream camera just for a few minutes to uh, chat with everybody but uh, thanks again uh, to my guest brandis you can uh, check her out at brandis.net and uh, check out uh, her uh, site for her uh, book columbusgroove.net and she also has corresponding uh, facebook pages as well Uh, and my next uh, show will be one week from tonight. There will be no Saturday show. I am working this weekend, as some people say, saving lives, so there will be no Saturday show. My uh, my next show will be one week from tonight, uh, April 22, and uh, we'll also be having returning guests, uh, DG and Tiffany Hollins. Uh, You may have uh, remember them. uh, I think it was last summer as well. uh, uh, There are a couple who are going through the adoption process, and uh, they will update us on that. They, I can tell you they have some good news about that, so I'm very excited to welcome them back to show number 160. So that will be one week from tonight um, on April 22, uh, 2010, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right back here on blogtalkradio.com slash Anonymous. Uh, but that's it for me here, kids. There will be no closing song here for tonight. I'm just going to shoot over to uh, my uh, Ustream site, at DrAnonymous.tv, and uh, also check me out at DrAnonymous.com and also DrAnonymous.org. That brings you to, right to my iTunes page where you can subscribe to this show. So thanks again to Brandis, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week, and I will talk to everybody in just a few minutes over on DrAnonymous.tv. Good night, everybody.